episode 129, Brian McComick. Hey, it's Nikki Llewellyn and you're on Gut Plus Science. This podcast is on a mission to increase engagement at work. And on this show, we equip CEOs and people first leaders of all levels to make impact. Let's get to it. thrilled to share a rich conversation that feels like it scratched the surface. Does that even make sense? Well, let me elaborate. My guest, Brian, is passionate about workplace diversity and the many layers of this very important and deep work. And he's a robust thought leader on all things, diversity, equity, inclusion, and has a really rich model to help leaders think differently and apply the teachings. We got into it today. We get into it a lot, but there's so much more to dig into past our conversation. Let me tell you about Brian and let's get to our conversation, but please know that we have many resources that we're going to be offering from Brian and his team to go deeper on what we talked about. So Brian McComick is a diversity and inclusion consultant, speaker, author, and facilitator with many years, 20 plus years of experience in diversity and inclusion work, HR, company culture, change management, communications, and employee experience. So a wonderful guest to have on the show. I am honored. He's the founder and CEO of Hummingbird Humanity, a consulting firm that cultivates and champions inclusive workplace cultures and human-centered leadership. He's also the author of Humanity in the Workplace, a blueprint for building an inclusive and equitable company culture. It's going to be released in 2022, and I definitely want to keep my pulse on that to share it with you all when it hits the shelf. So we touched on this blueprint today, but like I said, we're going to have some resources from Brian that you'll find in the show notes. So let's get to it with Brian. Brian, I'm so ready to learn from you and the unique way you view the workplace and great leadership practices and how you and your team champion inclusive workplace cultures and a human-centered leadership approach. The goal today is to reframe diversity, recognizing that increasing representation is an important conversation for all workplaces. Let's start with this. Why is the topic of human-centered workplace culture or leadership important to you? Well, first, Nikki, I have to say thank you so much for for inviting me to join this conversation and to share with your community. I'm delighted to be here. And you know, this conversation around human-centered workplaces, um, workplace cultures, human-centered leadership has been a passion of mine since college. I uh, read a fantastic book called The Customer Comes Second by Hal Rosenbluth. And his message in, in this book, uh, his book was, if you do all the things that that create an, an environment where humans thrive, your company will thrive. So that was really the the starting point of my exploration of what human-centered workplaces look like. And as a gay man entering the the workplace um, in you know in my early twenties, like most of us do, I also found that workplaces didn't feel like I fit and where they were places I belonged. And uh, that is something that I've experienced for a, a big part of my my career in, in in different companies and organizations. Of do I really feel like I fit here? And as I've talked to others, I feel like that's a that's a feeling that most of us have that we don't actually fit in the environments that are created for us to make a living. And uh, I just think there's a better way to do business. And I really believe in what I've learned from Hal you know, 25 plus years ago. Let's not age myself too much, but uh, you know I believe that if we can create environments where humans truly thrive, that uh, not only are we doing good for humanity, we're also doing good work for business and we're making helping our businesses thrive and succeed in ways that maybe are unexpected or untapped potential today. 
such an important uh, passion that you bring for this show. And I just can't wait to learn from you. I know we have so much to cover, but I'm curious before we go there. So you, you said 25 years, that's, you know, a lot of time that you put into this area of passion. I'm, I'm curious your biggest aha you've ever had in, in the work that you've done with DE&I. So I uh, was fortunate about, uh, I guess it's been about seven years ago now, I, I joined the Walt Disney Company and I worked for my direct supervisor leader there. Her name was Buki Famosa. And uh, I joined her team as an HR business partner. And Buki said to me, Brian, I think you're a great HR person, but I really think you need to be doing diversity, equity, and inclusion work. So let's open those doors for you. Uh, so I started my my adventure into diversity, equity, and inclusion. And and as a, as I mentioned already, I'm, as a gay man, I thought, okay, I I get what this is all about. And it's been fascinating to me of how at each step of the journey, how much I realized I didn't know what I didn't know. And and certainly, you know, I think back just to 18 months ago, the the tragic murder of George Floyd, which opened our eyes and and opened conversations that we weren't having and needed to be having in the workplace. That opened my eyes as well. And the what I've learned about uh, the systems of oppression that I that I like to say are invisible <laughs> um, and self perpetuating that infect all of us and how we show up and how we treat each other and how we engage in the workplace. Understanding those systems has been has been really powerful for me. That's been really the biggest aha. And what it's helped me understand is that 25 plus years of trying to figure out how I fit in workplaces and challenging the status quo and challenging the norms that exist was really me challenging those systems of oppression that didn't work for me either as a gay man um, or as a person with anxiety and depression, trying to figure out how do I manage mental health in the workplace? Those are, there there are systems of, you know, ableism systems or homophobia or transphobia that affect individuals who are like me. And there are lots of those systems that exist. And I was just, I was really battling against them. So developing the understanding of those systems has really helped to inform how I do my work today and how Hummingbird Humanity, the the firm that I'm fortunate to lead, how we do our work is as in helping to bring to life those human-centered workplace cultures. Well, with our goal today to really reframe and identify things that we as leaders, so everyone that's subscribing to this podcast, they're probably in a leadership role because this is a, a leadership podcast and really to advance people first workplaces. So I'd love to you know, start by really meeting them where they are. There's some of us that are doing things right now that we don't even know, we're not even aware of, right? So I'd love to start with you know the old story of workplace diversity norms that are very alive right now in many workplaces, they're happening, you know, the old ways, right. And then talking about really what you're working to champion change and, you know, what that champion change, uh, championing change looks like or the future. And then we're going to lead us into some stats about where we stand right now, just as a whole. This is a big question, Nikki, how much time do we have? So I'm going to offer a few different uh, ways to look at this question. So first, when I think about the conversations I've had in my roles as an HR professional and even as a DEI professional, when we've talked about representation, we've predominantly talked about people of color or BIPOC individuals, which is Black, Indigenous, people of color, the representation of those individuals in our organizations and in the leadership of our organizations. And we've also talked about it through the lens of gender. And typically when we, when we talk about gender, it's about women and men. And as many of us are learning and have come to understand that gender is a, is a spectrum concept. And so expanding the, the lens there is important as well. 
the the sort of that's the, the old paradigm I'll refer to, which is really we're looking at people of color and women. And the reality is there is so much more diversity in the world around us that we need to be paying attention to. And it's not just do they work at your company? Yes, that's important, but it's also is there an environment that allows them to be their authentic selves and allows them to thrive and and supports their career development and growth and and is there are they seen do they see themselves in your products and services and the benefits you offer and so there's lots of other questions that aren't getting asked and when we look at it just through do they work at your company we're not paying attention to the big picture i think some of those other, a couple other lenses that i like to look at here are when I think about the the things that I learned and so much of what I learned growing up in corporate environments, I've been able to, to continue to leverage as skills and capabilities that allow me to drive organizational change that creates environments that are accepting and respectful and welcoming of everyone. And I also learned things that are unhelpful. And sometimes there are things that are harmful. So, you know, one of those is, I remember uh, when we were creating one of our our program, the the info sheet for one of the, the program learning programs we offer, which is called a diversity learning circle, debating with my colleague, Lori Musinski, of whether we could use the, the phrase white supremacy on our document or not. And because white supremacy, that word, that, that phrase is scary. Um, and what we came up with was we wanted, what we really were talking about was white supremacy culture or white supremacy culture in our workplaces. Um, but it's still scary. And what I come to, came to understand through Lori's Patience um, with me was if we don't name the systems that are impacting us, then we can't dismantle them. So we have to find comfort in some of those scary words and scary topics. Uh, so I really encourage our, our, the clients that we work with today of allow for those scary words to be part of your conversation. Cause once you start to tackle them, then you can start to dismantle them. And uh, once you start to understand them, you can start to, to, to dismantle them. And the last thing that I'll, I'll, the lens I'll mention here is I like to talk about the fact that we're humans. So we're human. When I think about what, how would you describe a human? You can think of lots of different words, but one of those words is likely going to encompass the fact that we have emotions. We have heartbreak. We have sadness. We have joy. We have passion. Uh, we have anger. We have, we have bad days. We're, we're humans. And what I remember is, or believe is what I learned was I was supposed to put humanity, like check that coat at the door when I walked into my office and, and put all that emotion away. Well, that's, that's not fair. Um, and it's certainly not helpful. And, and we're basically saying, just pretend you're not a human, come in and be a robot, I guess. Is that the question that, or the ask that we're having have for our employees? And I'm not saying that the workplace should be a place that is led by emotion, because that's not the right answer either. But how do we allow humans to be human? And another version of that is how do we allow humans to make mistakes? What does that look like of taking away the fear of, hey, if I get something wrong, um, that I'm going to lose my job? Well, actually, if you get something wrong, it means you tried something new, and you're learning and growing. And that's really cool and exciting. So how do we allow humans to be human is, is sort of the, 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 the third lens I'll mention there. And I know you've done a lot of research. You've got stats and data that just could help us understand also just from an awareness standpoint. I would love for you to share those, some stats and data that just help us understand the reality of the workplace or where we stand now. And I know this is a resource that we're going to, we'll, we'll share and make, I put a link for your listeners is uh, we have a thought leadership paper we, we released in June that has a, a, lots of great stats that give different perspectives on 
uh, representation or the impacts of representation. So I'm, I'll just, I'm going to share a couple of those stats. And, and certainly if you're looking for more and you're listening, feel free to, to visit the, the page of, for the podcast and, and download this paper because it's just chock full of information. So one that, that's, that I see here is a study by uh, the University of Southern California found that 50% of films and TV shows had no Asian speaking characters and more than one fifth of them, or more than 20% of them, had no black characters with dialogue. So when we think about what are we absorbing from our media, what are the stories that we're, we're taking in? What does that look like? Another, another stat that I think about, which is closer to home for me, is that less than 50% of LGBTQ plus individuals are out in the workplace. And they feel like it coming out in the workplace would impact their career or their ability to, to have a successful um, journey at the, at the company they're at. Uh, and I, I just think about the amount of energy that it must take. And, and I was one of these people for fortunately only a brief time in my career who spent a lot of energy trying to hide who I am. Uh, so, you know, I think just using those examples that I shared of, Okay, if you're a person who is an Asian or AAPI descent, Asian American or Pacific Islander descent, or if you're a person, and the, the specific example I use was for the, the, for the Black community, uh, but if you're a Black Indigenous person of color, do you see yourself represented in television and media? Do you see yourself represented in leadership roles? If you're a gay individual or a member of the queer community, do you know it's safe to be who you are at your company? Can you come out and... And those, the, those questions are part of how we think every day. I, coming out for me is a daily process. And every time I do decide to share that, I have to think through those questions of, is it okay to come out? Um, if you're, if you have a visible differentiation, like if you're a member of the, you know, of the larger BIPOC community, you don't get to check that code at the door or you get to make that choice. It's part of, of who you, who you bring with you every day. And uh, do you get to see that there are examples that say, hey, I can thrive at this organization? The other one that I'll mention is uh, some of these stats many of your listeners may already be familiar with or some version of these statistics. The, the other one that comes to mind for me when we, when we think, it, think through the lens of humanity is that we know millions of people are resigning. We have the, the great resignation, um, as some call it. I've also seen it referred to as the great awakening of people saying, hey, Workplaces don't work for me anymore. I'm going to redefine my relationship with work. I'm going to redefine what is okay for me, how I want to find a, and I, I struggle with the word balance, but a, but a, a fit between uh, work and my life. And what does that look like? And I think one of the core reasons why people are making that decision is because they're like, workplace doesn't work for me as a human. I don't, I don't feel seen and heard. So I might be from a marginalized community and I feel like, Hey, I can't thrive here. So I'm going to go create, I'm going to go forge my own path. Or as we know happens with the Gen Y and Gen Z population who are driven by purpose is my organization and company committed to, to driving change where marginalized and underrepresented groups are, are seen and heard and are given opportunities. Or is my coming company giving back to the communities where we, where our, our company operates or the company, the, the community I'm from? And so all of those questions are happening. And I think that they, the, the core is that the, they're not, humanity is not exemplified in workplaces um, far too often. And that's what employees want to see. So good. Let's talk about mindset for a minute. And 
who needs to adopt this uh, mindset for things to truly change? Ryan, can you maybe challenge us with uh, some advice? Give us a challenge. Give us some advice on a mindset shift that needs to be present in order to create these environments where people thrive. When we start with the the who, as I have said more times than I can count in my career as an HR person, is it has to start with the top leaders. It has to start with the board of directors. It has to start with the CEO. It has to start with the C-level team, that senior leadership team. Those people, those individuals are in positions of power and privilege, uh, regardless of their identity, although we know from the stats that are available that most of them happen to be cisgender, straight, white men. Um, and that's something that we hope will change over the course of time. The people in those power roles have to, I really challenge them to engage in this conversation. And you know, s- sometimes I work with leaders in those senior roles and I say, Hey, it's just the, it's just the right thing to do. So, you know, let's just focus on that. We want to do, we want to create workplaces where humans thrive and like that's full stop there. It's about what's good for humanity. And uh, for those that are like, well, I'm a business leader and I need to have a return on investments for any time decision I'm going to make. Um, and you know, time when I'm going to spend time, energy resources, what's the ROI? And I can say, and I can give, there's lots of stats out there. We won't cover them all right now, but there are stats that prove if you have more women in leadership, for example, that your company will have an increased uh, profitability and has the, the um, will outpace your competitors in revenue growth. Uh, if you create environments where humanity thrives, um, you can reduce uh, turnover and increase retention. If you can increase levels of engagement with your organization, your employees, then they can, they'll, they'll give more discretionary effort, which is good for your business. So there's all of these, these whys from an ROI perspective as well. The challenge for those leaders is to commit the time and energy. And, you know, so one thing that I like to do is let's have some conversations about racism and the history of racism and how racism emerged in our environment. What's the source of that? And if you're looking for a book to read, Cast the Origins of Our Discontents is an incredible and very painful read about the origins of uh, racism in our country, um, in the United States. And it's also important and it's necessary to understand how did that emerge? Because again, if you don't understand the systems, you can't tackle them. You can't dismantle them. Let's talk about the white supremacy culture and what that means. And let's have those conversations. Let's talk about misogyny and sexism and ableism and homophobia and transphobia. And I get that all of these words are going to be scary for some people. And uh, when we create spaces for those conversations at Hummingbird, one of the the ways that we try to do that is we say, my goal bringing us together in the space to have these conversations is not for us to all agree with each other. That is actually counter to what we're trying to accomplish with our work. It is about expanded awareness and understanding because I believe that all humans want to treat other humans with respect and care and dignity. And if we don't understand the systems that are at play around all of us, we can't do that in an effective way. So lean into these conversations and figure out how do you, as a leader, as a, as a decision maker, how do you tackle those systems in ways that honor your perspective on humanity and your lens of how you treat others with care and dignity, dignity and respect? How do you meet people where they are? What does that look like? And the more you understand, the better you can do that. And uh, we found some, it's been really powerful to watch leaders go on this journey. Um, and I have, you know, I have a CEO once that has gone through one of our programs and he said, 
Brian, every day I left your program and I was mad. <laughs> I just, I was like, I don't feel good. And he said, I would wake up the next day and I'd say, I now understand why we had to have that conversation. And I'm so grateful that I had that conversation yesterday. So you have to like go through that emotion. And sometimes we don't want to go through all that emotional stuff. It doesn't feel good because uh, we're humans who are living our lives. I think for leaders, though, it's really important to lean in, to understand and to expand and expand your awareness of the experience of experiences of others, particularly those who are different than you. I'm glad you teed up something I wanted to cover, sharing that whose lap this work falls in inside of workplaces, inside of workplaces is all leaders. You talked about CEOs and executives have to be championing this change and beyond all leaders inside of the organizations, um, not just the HR department. And that was the old story many times. And unfortunately, there's so many organizations that say, I don't know, the HR handles that, right? And so I want to I want to touch on for a minute the role of HR in creating human-centered workplaces from your viewpoint. There's a few things to, that for us to all think about here, and and I won't pretend that I have all of the perfect answers for these solutions. That we're all solving them together, and so in that spirit, one thing that I think is an important paradigm that has to be thrown out is the responsibility for the people in your organization is not the sole responsibility of HR. It is the responsibility for every leader, every manager, every employee, how your culture of your organization, which is owned by everyone, is how you think about how do you how do you honor humanity in your workplace. DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion commitments, are not the sole responsibility of your DEI person, whether that's a, a single person or a small team or it's a part of someone's job who's in HR. Diversity, equity, and inclusion is everyone's responsibility, and leaders have to be engaged in those conversations and actively learning and understanding how they can contribute to fostering a commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion in your company. So throwing out those paradigms of it's only HR or only the DEI leader who's responsible for this, it's everyone who's responsible, those HR professionals and DEI professionals are there to help to provide consultation and advice and counsel, to help provide programs and, and tools and systems that help to support the, the, the company's efforts and the organization's efforts and support the leaders who are trying to, to bring a commitment to human-centered workplaces or DEI to life, but they're not the sole, the sole individuals who need to get it done. You know, I think the other thing I would say here is that HR has, in beautiful ways over the last, let's say, 20 to 30 years, evolved to be a strategic business partner. And I, you know, I've been part of that. So I, I honor and respect uh, my HR colleagues and um, and am proud of the work that the profession has done. What I worry has happened uh, for HR in many workplaces is as part of that evolution, H HR bought in to those systems that exist that don't work for humans. And so they said, we're going to put human, we're going to put human humanity aside. We're going to put emotion aside. We're going to, we're going to focus on the bottom line and efficiency. And, and again, we have to, we have to make good business decisions. I, I don't, I'm not saying that we don't need, we don't make good business decisions, but I worry that what HR, who um, is a profession and a function in companies for, has at times been the barometer for how do we embrace humanity in our workplaces? Have, has sort of gone to the dark side <laughs> in some cases where it's just focused on business value. And uh, I think we need to, to, to find a way to come back to, hey, wait, our companies aren't run by boxes on Excel sheets. They're run by humans. And 
those humans need to be engaged in meaningful ways. And when we do that, then those humans can then do the best work they can for our company. Okay. So we're about to get into a powerful model that you and your team created, and we'll be sharing that resource um, for the full thought leadership piece that all listeners can dig in deep. But I know we need time because I want a good understanding of all four components of it. And we're going to be digging in here. I have one more question. Speaking to CEOs, executives, HR leaders, and beyond, everyone we were just talking about and sharing examples on, make it clear for us how diversity, equity, and inclusion fits into the puzzle of human-centered workplaces. I'm still sort of figuring out how I fully want to describe this. And I'm, as you know, Nikki, I have a, have a book that's almost finished on humanity in the workplace where hopefully I'll have a suggested answer to this. The way that I see diversity, equity, and inclusion, though, is it is a component of a human-centered workplace. Some of the other components of human-centered workplaces would include, well, the first chapter of the book is, is about fear. Like we have to lean into fear. We have to lean into discomfort. Humans don't fit into tiny, perfect boxes or into Excel spreadsheets, as I've mentioned before. We're complex and we're emotional and we're, we have all sorts of different like lived experiences and professional experiences. So that means we have to lean into discomfort. Um, communication, you know, the, the, some of the old systems and ways of thinking about communication, I think we have to challenge leadership and controlling what information is shared is a, a paradigm that I think we need to, to let go of. And we need to still have make thoughtful decisions about what can what messages and information we share. But we need to be more transparent with what we share with our employees. And that's another way to foster human-centered workplaces. One of the questions I propose in this book is around, should there be a an HR leader who's focused on the systems of HR and a purpose or culture leader that is another C-suite leader at the, at the senior level. So there's someone who is who's really responsible for taking care of the heart and soul of the company and someone who is responsible for managing the resource of humans at the, the, the leadership table. So that's another question I have. I think philanthropy and volunteerism and well-being and those efforts and commitments for companies are part of human-centered workplaces. So there's a variety of pieces of this puzzle, and DEI is a critical piece of that conversation. It's not the only piece of the conversation. So this model called reframing representation, it has four components. Um, give us the high level of the model, maybe how it came to be and anything you want to share there, and then let's break down the four buckets. When I was the, the head of inclusion at Tapestry, which is the home of Coach Kate Spade and Stuart Weitzman, this concept really emerged for me and how I was able to help drive through the, the partnership and collaboration of many others, really meaningful progress in a short time frame for our commitment to inclusion, uh, which includes the concepts of diversity and, and equity. And so what I found was I'll use the, you know, one key approach that I took was I needed to have partnerships, meaningful partnerships with our PR teams, our public relations teams, our chief marketing officers, our head of corporate social responsibility, our head of internal communications. So I had this network of collaborators. And what we did was we looked at how do we bring this concept or commitment to diversity to life through representation in everything we do in every aspect of our company. And one I didn't mention was the benefits team. I spent a lot of time with the benefits team. We had a regular conversation about do our benefits meet the needs of all of our employees? And if not, what do we need to do? And the answer is there's always more you can do. So we were looking at what do we do next? And so that's what led to this model here. 
And I'd love for you to break it down and share with us how you landed on these four different components or what the four different components are. And then I might ask a few questions. I'll run through the list uh, quickly, uh, and then I'll, I'll then come back and, and define each of these um, in a, a brief definition. So we have uh, the four lenses of representation, or the four lenses, uh, sometimes we refer to, refer to them as, are people, culture, customers, and community. Uh, so again, I'll say people, culture, customers, and community. Uh, so people is the focus on the diversity representation in your organization. So, you know, do you have uh, people that are members of the, the community of people with disabilities? Do you have BIPOC individuals? Do you have women? Do you have individuals who identify as transgender and non-binary or members of the queer community and so on? And what are the steps you're taking to help those individuals to grow in their careers in your organization through uh, development programs and career and succession planning? And how are you breaking down bias in your recruiting process or your selection process or your promotion processes? So that's that's where we, what we put under the bucket of people. Uh, then we have culture, which is the environment with, within which your humans operate at your company. Are you creating a workplace where your people can be humans? Are you allowing for mistakes to be viewed as powerful moments of learning and growth? Are you thinking about how your benefits programs are meeting the needs of working parents or of individuals who might have um, you know, mental health challenges and need, um, need support for those mental health challenges or hybrid workplaces that um, support individuals from all sorts of all sorts of different backgrounds. So how do you celebrate differences and intentionally create an environment that is welcoming for everyone? Customers is how are you thinking about your your solutions for your customers or your clients um, or your consumers, depending on what business you're in? And how are you meeting the needs of consumers that are diverse and customers that are diverse? Um, do you have one example for that, that I remember is in one of our brands uh, at Tapestry, we sold his and hers products for weddings. And so sometimes the wedding is his and his, and sometimes it's hers and hers, and sometimes it's it's theirs and theirs. And so how do you make sure your products are meeting the needs of a an increasingly diverse community? Over the next 20 years, uh, people of color color will be will make up over 50% of our population. And are your products and services meeting the needs of those communities? I think it's a business imperative to make sure you're looking through that lens. And the last one is community. So this is how are you giving back to the communities that support you, that you know where your employees live and work and play, or the customers that you have, how are you giving back to those communities? If you, um, so what are your volunteerism efforts, your philanthropic efforts, your commitments to social impact? Um, oftentimes what I like to say is our efforts for um, social impacts or how we give back to the world around us is an internal uh, or an external expression of our internal commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion. So much there. And a question that came to mind for me is thinking about the people lens and the customer lens and thinking about powerful feedback that can be gained from them to be able to shape what we do, change or offer in the future. What are your suggestions on how to do that best? Maybe talk about both buckets with employees. How do you see employers do that well and with customers? I don't expect that anyone or any organization is overnight going to figure out how to embrace these four lenses of representation. It is an over time conversation and it takes intentional efforts. So one of the 
the beliefs that I have is you start with the voices of your employees and of, of your customers, as you mentioned, Nikki, and understand what their needs are and what are the specific steps you take at your organization and your environment to meet the needs of those humans is really important. To give an example of, of how that might come to life. So if you are a I'll use retail because it's something that that comes that I'm certainly very familiar with. If you are an organization that's going to put on a pride collection in June to celebrate pride, awesome, fantastic, that's great. I encourage you to do it. You have LGBTQ plus employees. Um, hopefully you have an ER employee resource group or business resource group that allows those employees to come together, engage them in the active process of defining the products um, and services that you'll that you'll offer through your pride collection or your pride services if, if that's what it looks like let them be part of the design and the development and the dialogue and the decisions uh, and then make sure that you're also thinking about where you source those products from there are there are still countries in this world where legally I can be killed for being a gay man make sure you're not sourcing your pride collection from those countries. And your employee resource group, the members of that group are likely going to be the ones who can challenge you on those questions and say, hey, let's make sure we get this right. If we're going to do this, if we're going to sell these products, let's make sure we're making all the decisions that are going to honor the community in the process. So, you know, that is a way to engage internal employees to solve the the, the decisions or be part of the process for creating products and services that meet the needs of your customer base. Brian, I can only imagine how many questions if we had like, hey, we're ready to take some Q&A from our listeners, how many things that people have that they'd love to ask. And so I guess what the way I'd like to segue before we go into our lightning round is for you to share a couple of resources that are going to be available and like how you and your team can be, you know, approached to be able to answer some of these questions, just because I know that we just opened a huge can of worms and there's probably a lot that just a lot of questions and advice that's wanted. So share that with us and then we're going to transition to our lightning round. Oh my goodness. There, yes, there are so many questions and uh, that I'm sure that people have right now. And I love that. Like, I'm super excited that if your wheels are spinning, then that's exactly what I hope to do in this conversation today. If you would like to hear more, you know, certainly uh, connect with Hummingbird Humanity. Uh, we're on uh, Facebook and LinkedIn. And on our Hummingbird Humanity website, uh, you can also register for our newsletter that we send out every other week. And that has tips and tools and resources. Uh, so feel free to, to sign up there. And then uh, from, from myself, Brian McComick, you can find me on LinkedIn. And on my LinkedIn uh, channel, I share a constant stream of uh, examples of uh, reframing representation matters uh, through these four lenses of representation. So you can get lots of other ideas and sparks that might be uh, might help to lead you down a path of exploration at your own company. So definitely uh, follow us on uh, follow me on LinkedIn. So many thought provoking ideas and just ways to think about things differently, which was the whole goal today with this conversation was to reframe and just inspire our perspectives to shift and. I got a lot of that because I can only imagine how many of our guests did as well. So thank you so much, Brian. We're going to transition into our lightning round where we get to learn just a little bit more about the personal side or the human side of you, uh, maybe that we haven't seen so far. So we'll be right back. Gut Plus Science has just joined the People Forward Network. Gut Plus Science has been on a journey for three and a half years, and we got inspired to create a global podcast network that captures the most incredible efforts of people-first leaders and humans working on a meaningful mission. We believe that the workplace is the largest mission field for change 
and the People Forward Network is the largest community of humans on a shared journey to live life full of meaning. We'd love for you to join the People Forward Network. There are all kinds of new shows and existing shows coming together under one umbrella to bring you the best content as a community on a mission. Can't wait for you to join us. See the link to peopleforwardnetwork.com in the show notes. All right, back on Gut Plus Science with Brian McComick, and this conversation has been fire. Loved every second of it. Now, just a couple questions that we ask all of our guests uh, to get a little insight into the personal side of them. So, Brian, if you had to pick a favorite book of all time or a favorite recent read, what would you like to share with our audience today? So, picking one is super hard for me, and I'm so I'm going to pick two. One because I have to make sure I mention it is. We uh, at Hummingbird, we released uh, My Grown Ups. It's a children's book over the summer, which talks about how there are um, lots of different types of families and not every family has a mom and dad. Uh, so definitely check out My Grown Ups uh, for kids in your world who uh, might have a family that looks different than what, uh, what we all think of. And a book that I find inspirational is Tuesdays with Maury by Mitch Album. I read that book once a year just to remind myself about humanity and my own life. And Brian, what is your favorite hobby when you're not working? I love the movies and I also love going to see live Broadway shows. I got to go see uh, a Broadway show on Sunday night uh, just recently, uh, which was the first time in 18 months. So those are times when I get to, to really just turn off the mind, my mind, which is always thinking and just escape into a beautiful story. And how about a favorite vacation spot? Provincetown, Massachusetts on Cape Cod. Uh, it's the very tip of Cape Cod. And uh, I started visiting there 16 years ago. And it is a place where everyone is accepted for exactly who they are. Um, it's a place where I can feel just, I'm. it's okay to be an out gay man. If I am happen to be dating someone, I can hold their hand walking down the street and know it's okay there. And everyone is welcome there. So I just love being in that space. Brian, I know you mentioned LinkedIn, but the best way for our listeners to connect with you after the show? I think LinkedIn is probably the best the best uh, approach. So uh, LinkedIn is uh, Brian McComick on LinkedIn. So you can find me there. You can also find me on Instagram. If you're curious and want to see some of the, a little bit more of Brian the per, the, on the personal side, you can connect with me on, on LinkedIn as well. Uh, so we have LinkedIn and uh, Instagram for Brian McComick. And also for Hummingbird Humanity, we have LinkedIn and Brian, thank you for your mentorship today. Such a valuable conversation for our show. All right, guys, see what I mean by deep conversation, but scratching the surface. I have so many notes, but here's a couple of my thoughts for truth you can act on today. Number one, diversity is so much bigger than color and gender. So think about how sometimes we pigeonhole diversity and how can we think bigger. I encourage you to reflect on ways you're leading diversity in your organization and how you can expand. Number two, allow for the scary words or hard topics, challenging conversations to be part of the conversation, the upcoming ones. Building trust and relationships comes from real talk and talking about the things we have on our minds that many times people don't bring forth. And so let's lead that. Ponder one way you can apply this in an upcoming conversation this week or next. Uh, Number three, at a high level, reflect on how you can sharpen the way you show up for your people your culture, your customers, and your community, those four lenses that Brian spoke of. And Brian's tool is loaded with ideas to reframe. So I encourage you to high-level reflect and then take his toolkit, his blueprint, and find some new ways that you can apply it. Such a great conversation. Thanks. We'll see you next time. We 
just left the world a little bit better. Now go do something with it.